<clears throat> Today is the sixth day of this November <clears throat> 2021 seven-day session. And today I'm going to be reading from <clears throat> a book that Roshi has often read from. Uh, it's, the, it's entitled Swampland Flowers, The Letters and Lectures of Zen Master Dawei, translated by J.C. Cleary. <clears throat> I want to say a little bit about Dawei, but uh, we don't have time to really thoroughly go into his biography. <clears throat> but just a few brief things. Uh, he was born in 1088. And at an early age, he showed uh, an affinity, a preference for Buddhism over worldly, worldly studies. And uh, by the age of 16, he had left home. That is, he had <clears throat> decided to become a monk. And at 17, he dropped his hair. <clears throat> that is, he had his head shaved and became uh, to become a monk. <clears throat> then at the age of 19... He began traveling in the traditional practice of Chan, visiting different teachers and communities. And uh, Cleary says, even at this early age, Dao Wei would be taken for a later embodiment of previous Chan masters. From one, he sought instructions on Shui Do's hundred verses eulogizing the ancients. <clears throat> this is what later became the Blue Cliff record uh, under the editing of uh, Da Wei's final teacher, Yuan Wu, says the teacher would not offer a word of explanation, but made Da Wei express his own view. In every case, Da Wei completely comprehended the subtle meaning. The older master exclaimed, you must be someone who's come again. <clears throat> He ended up studying with a Master Chun of Chan Tang. And it says when he got there, his intellectualism was unrestrained. One day, Chan Tang asked, Why are your nostrils boundless today? Dao Wei replied, Because I'm at your place. <clears throat> and Tang said, You phony Chan man. <clears throat> Again, when Da Wei was reading a scripture, Chan Tang asked, what scripture are you reading? He answered, the Diamond Sutra. Tang said, this Dharma is everywhere equal without high or low. Why is Yun Chu Mountain high and Pao Feng Mountain low? Da Wei replied, this Dharma is everywhere equal without high or low. Tang said, you could be a lecturer's assistant. <clears throat> damning with faint praise. <clears throat> One day Chan Tang said, Reverend Kao, that was his initi initiatory name, Tsung Kao, you understood my Chan teaching here at once. 
When I had you explain, you could explain. When I had you give informal talks or general lectures commenting on and extolling the ancients, you could do that too. There's just one thing that's not there. Do you know what? Dawei answered, what? Tang said, you only lack this one liberation that's in the burst of power. If you don't get this one liberation, there's Chan while I'm talking with you in private, but as soon as you leave the Doksan room, there's not. There's Chan when you're awake and thinking, but as soon as you fall asleep, there's not. If you're like this, how can you be a match for birth and death? <clears throat> and Dawei replied, this is precisely my point of doubt. <clears throat> Good answer. <clears throat> After his first teacher died, uh, on the instructions of his first teacher, he found his way to Yuan Wu and uh, <clears throat> don't think I have time to get into everything that happened, <clears throat> save it for a later date. Um, but at a certain point, <clears throat> uh, Yuan Wu uh, accepted him as, as an equal and began dividing his teaching duties with Da Wei. <clears throat> it says here that whenever Da Wei entered Yuan Wu's teaching room, Yuan, Yuan Wu would always listen to his words. Afterwards, one day, as they were going to their private quarters, Yuan Wu said, if you were a Chan man like me, how would you, if, you, if there were a Chan man like me, how would you deal with him? Dawei said, what unexpected good fortune if there were. As Tung Po said, having been an executioner all my life, when I meet a fat fellow, I slice. <laughs> Yuan Wu laughed loudly and said, Rather, it's you who should enter the room with me and be my teacher. You've pinned me to the wall. <clears throat> Just one other thing, really picking things at random here. Um, he died in 1163. It says, uh, on the ninth day of the eighth month after showing signs of illness, he told the congregation of monks and nuns and lay people, tomorrow I'm going. Towards the pre-dawn hours after he'd written his last bequest <clears throat> and a letter to the emperor, the monk who was his, his attendant asked Dawei for a verse. In a serious voice, Dawei said, without a verse, I couldn't die. <clears throat> he took up the brush and wrote, birth is thus, death is thus, verse or no verse, what's the fuss? Then he let go of the writing brush and passed on. <clears throat> the age of 75. <clears throat> so this book, Swampland Flowers, the letters and lectures of Zen Master Dawei, uh, consists mostly of letters 
to uh, what are mostly lay students. Presumably, if one were a monk, you'd be there and, and get the teaching in person. <clears throat> So this first one is to Li Xian Chen. <clears throat> Please forgive my butchering of Chinese names. Buddha said, if you want to know the realm of Buddhahood, you must make your mind as clear as empty space and leave false thinking and all grasping far behind, causing your mind to be unobstructed wherever it may turn. Because <clears throat> it is thinking and grasping that obstruct the mind, of course. The realm of Buddhahood is not some external world where there is a formal Buddha. It is the realm of the wisdom of a self-awakened sage. Once you are determined that you want to know this realm, you do not need adornment, cultivation, or realization to attain it. Why is that? Why don't you need realization to attain that realm? Because you already have that. It says you must clear away the stains of afflictions from alien sensations that have been on your mind since beginningless time so that your mind becomes as broad and open as as empty space, detached from all the clinging of the discriminating intellect, and your false, unreal, vain thoughts, too, are like empty space. Then this wondrous, effortless mind will be unimpeded wherever it goes. This is what we begin to do in Sashin. to clear the mind of all the thoughts we carry around with us in our daily lives. Even in daily life, we want to practice Zen seriously. We want to beware of the tendency to dwell in thoughts. It's so habitual. I think people decide that there's just nothing that can be done about it. But there is. There, you can. You can, maybe not, maybe not perfectly, maybe not always. <clears throat> maybe like Dawei, there's no Zen when you leave the Doksan room. But you can notice and drop. You can make your, your work, your life's work, opening up to what's in front of you. <clears throat> what... Joko Beck was calling walking the razor's edge. It's another letter. It says, an ancient worthy had a saying, to look for the ox, one must seek out its tracks. The ox is our enlightened nature. To study the path, Seek out mindlessness. Where the tracks are, so must the ox be. The path of mindlessness is easy to seek out. 
So-called mindlessness is not being inert and unknowing like earth, wood, tile, or stone. It means the mind is settled and imperturbable when in contact with situations and meeting circumstances. That it does not cling to anything, but is clear in all places without hindrance or obstruction, without being stained, yet without dwelling in the stainlessness. Viewing body and mind like dreams or illusions, yet without remaining in the perspective of dreams and illusions, empty nothingness. As long as we're aware that the mind is empty, the mind is not really empty. In the end, what's called for is complete absorption. without being stained, yet without dwelling in the stainlessness. He says, only when one arrives in a realm like this can it be called true mindlessness. No, it's not lip service mindlessness. If you haven't attained true mindlessness and just go by this verbal kind, how is this different from the perverted chan of silent illumination? Now, since many of us here are practicing shikantaza, which the Chinese term is silent illumination, this deserves a little bit of explanation. Uh, What Cleary says is Dawei uses silent illumination in a pejorative way to criticize those who emphasize stillness and quiescence in themselves as the ultimate without making empowerment through enlightenment the standard. It's resting in peace, resting in quietness. It's easy to fall into this. But I think the term silent illumination talks about both sides of it. There's the silence, silence that's so seductive and delicious, but there's illumination, awareness. One master said, it's like your head is on fire. Blazing awareness. And just as a side note, um, Dawei was very respectful and quite... uh, Close, close with the uh, one of the great teachers of of silent illumination. <clears throat> anyway, just get to the root. Don't worry about the branches. Emptying this mind is the root. Once you get the root, the fundamental, then all kinds of language and knowledge in all your daily activities as you respond to people and adapt to circumstances through the many upsets and downfalls, whether joyous or angry, good or bad, favorable or adverse. These are all trivial matters, the branches. If you can be spontaneously aware and knowing as you are going along with circumstances, then there is neither lack nor excess.
There's not only Zen when we're joyous, when things are good, when conditions are favorable. Also when we're angry, when we're sad, things go wrong, when there's disaster. Another letter. Since you're studying this path, then at all times in your encounters with people and responses to circumstances, you must not let wrong thoughts continue. If you cannot see through them, then the moment a wrong thought comes up, you should quickly concentrate your mental energy to pull yourself away. If you always follow those thoughts and let them continue without a break, not only does this obstruct the path, It makes you out to be a man without wisdom. Sometimes thoughts are easy to drop, but there are others that are extremely difficult, especially thoughts about ourselves. Another real category of thoughts that are insidious is thoughts about practice. So easy to get confused and think that you can be on the mat thinking about your practice and that somehow that's the real thing. Devising techniques. Judging how it's going. So easy not to be aware of how the mind is filled with thoughts. It does take mental energy to pull yourself away. He says, in the old days, Kui Shan asked Lazy An, what work do you do during the 24 hours of the day? An said, I tend an ox. Kui Shan said, how do you tend it? An said, whenever it gets into the grass, I pull it back by the nose. Kui Shan said, you're really tending the ox. People who study the path in controlling wrong thoughts should be like lazy on tending his ox. Then gradually a wholesome ripening will take place of itself. This ox metaphor for the mind is so apt. Think about huge lumbering beast, big massive head, moving off the path into the grass, dipping down and munching. Not easy to pull that ox back. So fundamentally important. Zen Master Rinzai Linchi said, Learn how to cut successive nen. It's a <clears throat> Japanese word that means, more or less, means thought forms, the initial arising of a thought. Learn how to cut successive nen, and this is worth more than 10 years of pilgrimage.
<clears throat> don't ever despair that thoughts keep rising even though you keep dropping them. The value of dropping thoughts is, is tremendous. If we don't, if we don't make this effort, when will we ever find our way? <clears throat> another letter. Do not grasp another's bow. Do not ride another's horse. Not, do not meddle in other, another's affairs. Though this is a commonplace saying, it can also be sustenance for entering the path. Just examine yourself constantly from morning to night. What do you do to help others and help yourself? If you notice even the slightest partiality or insensitivity, you must admonish yourself. Do not be careless about this. In the old days, Chan Master Tao Lin lived up in a tall pine tree on Chinwang Mountain. People of the time called him the bird's nest monk. When a minister was, a local minister made the trip to the mountain to visit him, the minister Po said, it's very dangerous where you're sitting, Chan Master. The master said, my danger may be very great, minister, but yours is even greater. Po said, I am the commander of Chen Tong. What danger is there? The master said, fuel and fire are joined. Consciousness and identity do not stay. How could you not be in danger? <clears throat> fuel and fire are joined. This world is on fire. <clears throat> the fire of impermanence. Consciousness and identity do not stay. We all will die. <clears throat> Poe also asked, what is the overall meaning of the Buddhist teaching? The master said, don't commit any evils, practice the many virtues. Poe said, even a three-year-old child could say this. And the master said, though a three-year-old child can say it, an 80-year-old man cannot carry it out. Poe then bowed and departed. <clears throat> now, if you want to save mental power, do not be concerned with whether or not a three-year-old child can say it or whether or not an 80-year-old man can carry it out. Just don't do any evil, and you will have mastered these words. They apply whether you believe or not, so please think it over. <clears throat> Nowadays... The whole issue of right conduct is not as front and center, I think, as it was in those days. The Vidya, the study of the monastic precepts, was a major school, and many of the masters began their careers <clears throat> with that.
without that basis, you're just a spiritual athlete, <clears throat> may develop uh, the ability to respond quickly and <clears throat> be spontaneous, have some insight. But how do you treat other people? How partial are you to yourself? <clears throat> In a way, this is almost more important. He says, If worldly people whose present conduct is without illumination would correct themselves and do good, though the goodness is not yet perfect, isn't this better than depravity and shamelessness? One who does evil on the pretext of doing good is called in the teachings one whose causal ground is not genuine, bringing on crooked results. <clears throat> Makes one think of some of the Zen teachers and scandals that have proliferated since Zen came to America. <clears throat> he says, if with a straightforward mind and straightforward conduct you are able to seize supreme enlightenment directly this can be called the act of a real man of power. The concerns that have come down from numberless ages are only in the present. If you can understand them right now, then the concerns of numberless ages will instantly disperse like tiles being scattered or ice melting. If you don't understand right now, you'll pass through countless eons more and it'll still be just as it is. The truth that it is as it is has been continuous since antiquity without ever having varied so much as a hair's breadth. <clears throat> Matters of worldly anxieties are like the links of a chain, joining together continuously without a break. If you can do away with them, do away with them immediately. Because you have become habituated to them since beginningless time, to the point where they have become totally familiar, if you don't exert yourself to struggle with them, then as time goes on and on, with you unknowing and unawares, they will have entered deeply into you. Finally, on the last day of your life, you won't be able to do anything about it. If you want to be able to avoid going wrong when you face the end of your life, then from now on, whenever you do anything, don't let yourself slip. If you go wrong in your present doings, it will be impossible not to go wrong when you're facing death. <clears throat> the Tibetan sage Milarepa said, Affairs and business will drag on forever. So lay them down and practice now the Dharma. If you think tomorrow is the time to practice, suddenly you find that your life has slipped away. Who can tell when death will come? <clears throat> he goes on, There's a sort of person who reads scriptures, recites the Buddha name, and repents in the morning, but in, then in the evening runs off at the mouth, slandering and vilifying other people. The next day he does homage to the Buddha and repents as before. 
all through the years till the end of his life, he takes this as daily ritual. This is extreme folly. Such people are far from realizing that the Sanskrit word shama <clears throat> means to repent faults. This is called cutting off the continuing mind. Once you have cut it off, never continue it again. Once you've repented, do not commit wrongdoings again. This is the meaning of a repentance according to the Buddha, which good people who study the path should not fail to know. <clears throat> to repent without committing to avoid whatever evil action, <clears throat> harmful action one has committed, what good is there in that? Oh, gee, I've done it again. What are you going to do? The mind, discriminating intellect, and consciousness of students of the path should be quiet and still 24 hours a day. When you have nothing to do, you should sit quietly and keep the mind from slackening and the body from wavering. <clears throat> this is a really good point something I, I notice in myself. When you have a moment, what do you do? Nothing you have to do. Does the mind fall silent? <clears throat> do you reflect? Do you bring up the practice? Or do you reach for the phone? so much easier to do this to sit quietly after Sashin. <clears throat> the mind has been scoured. We realize how wonderful it is just to sit quietly. <clears throat> no need to pick up something to distract ourselves. He says, if you practice to perfection over a long, long time, naturally body and mind will come to rest at ease and you will have some direction in the path. <clears throat> the perfection of quiescence and stillness indeed settles the scattered and confused false consciousness of sentient beings. But if you cling to quiescent stillness and consider this the ultimate, then you're in the grip of perverted silent illumination chan. <clears throat> the Sanskrit word prajna means wisdom. Those who lack clear prajna and are greedy, wrathful, stupid, and lustful, those who don't have clear prajna and harm sentient beings, those who do such things as these, they are running away from prajna. How can this be called wisdom? By keeping mindful of the matter of birth and death, your mental technique is already correct. Once the mental, mental technique is correct, then you won't need to use effort to clear your mind as you respond to circumstances in your daily activities. When you don't actively try to clear out your mind, then you won't go wrong. Since you don't go wrong, correct mindfulness stands out alone. When correct mindfulness stands out alone, inner truth adapts to phenomena. 
When inner truth adapts to events and things, events and things come to fuse in inner truth. When phenomena fuse with their inner truth, you save power. When you feel the saving, this is the empowerment of studying the path. In gaining power, you save unlimited power. In saving power, you gain unlimited power. <clears throat> the foundation, the foundation of the precepts makes possible this quiet mind. As long as we're running about, chasing after what we want, <clears throat> pushing people out of the way to get it, the mind can't be quiet. He says, this matter may be taken up by brilliant, quick-witted folks, but if you depend on your brilliance and quick wits, you won't be able to bear up. It's easy for keen and bright people to enter, but hard for them to preserve it. <clears throat> I think he's in part talking about himself. That's because generally their entry is not very deep and their power is meager. When the intelligent and quick-witted as soon as they hear a spiritual friend mention this matter, with the intelligent and quick-witted, as soon as they hear a spiritual friend mention this matter, their eyes immediately stir, and they are already trying to gain understanding through their mind's discriminating intellect. People like this are creating their own hindrances and will never have a moment of awakening. When devils from outside, this is a quotation, when devils from outside wreck, wreak calamity, it can still be remedied. <clears throat> it says, but this reliance on intellectual discrimination amounts to when one's own family creates disaster, it cannot be averted. This is what Yong Chia meant when he said, the loss of the wealth of the Dharma and the demise of virtue all stem from the mind's discriminating intellect. hammers this point home again in the next letter, much shorter. The obstruction of the path by the mind and its conceptual discrimination is worse than poisonous snakes or fierce tigers. Why? Because poisonous snakes and fierce tigers can be avoided, whereas intelligent people make the mind's conceptual discrimination their home so that there's never a single instant, whether they're walking, standing, sitting, or lying down, that they're not having dealings with it. As time goes on, unknowing and unawares, they become one piece with it, and not because they want to either, but because since beginningless time they have followed this one little road until it's become set and familiar. Though they may see through it for a moment and wish to detach from it, they still can't. <clears throat> Thus it is said, that poisonous snakes and fierce tigers can still be avoided 
but the mind's conceptual discrimination truly has no place for you to escape. These habits that we tolerate just dig ruts, deep ruts in the mind. That's why our job is so immense. But one habit can be replaced with another. We develop the habit of presence, of awareness. can begin bit by bit to empty out this garbage pit. Next letter. Gentlemen of affairs often take the mind, which assumes there is something to attain to seek the Dharma, wherein there is nothing to attain. What do I mean by the mind which assumes there is something to attain? It's the intellectually clever one, the one that ponders and judges. What do I mean by the Dharma wherein there is nothing to attain? It's the imponderable, the incalculable, where there's no way to apply intelligence or cleverness. The beginning of every workshop, Roshi makes the point of how impossible it is to use words to explain Zen. What you're talking about can't be expressed in words. This goes back to the beginnings of the Zen school, teaching beyond words and letters. All we can do with words is get the instruction of how to proceed, where to look. this imponderable and incalculable is always right here. Ramana Maharshi said, there is no greater mystery than this, that we keep seeking reality, though in fact we are reality. We think that there is something hiding reality and that this must be destroyed before reality is gained. How ridiculous. A day will dawn when you will laugh at your past efforts. That which will be on the day you laugh is also here now. Dawei continues, Haven't you read of old Shakyamuni at the assembly of the Lotus of the True Dharma? Three times Shariputra earnestly entreated him to preach, but there was simply no way for him to begin. Afterwards, using all his power, he managed to say that this dharma is not something that can be understood by thought or discrimination. 
<clears throat> this was old Shakyamuni taking this matter of its ultimate conclusion, opening the gateway of expedient means as a starting point for the teaching of the true nature of reality. In the old days, Shui Feng, the truly awakened Chan master, was so earnest about this matter that he went to Mount Dotsu three times and climbed Mount Tongshan nine times. Circumstances were not met for him in those places, so later when he heard of the teaching of Zhao, master of the adamantine wisdom scripture on Taishan, he went to his abode. <clears throat> One day he asked Taishan, in the custom of the school that has come down from high antiquity, what doctrine is used to instruct people? Taishan said, Our school has no verbal expression, nor does it have any doctrine to teach people. Later, Shui Feng also asked, Do I have any share in the business of the vehicle of this ancient school? Taishan picked up his staff and immediately hit him, saying, What are you saying? Under this blow, Shui Feng finally smashed the lacquer bucket <clears throat> of his ignorance. From this we observe that in this sect, intelligence and cleverness, thought and judgment are of no use at all. An ancient worthy had a saying, transcendent wisdom is like a great mass of fire. Approach it and it burns off your face. If you hesitate in thought and speculation, you immediately fall into conceptual discrimination. <clears throat> Young Chia said, loss of the wealth of the Dharma and destruction of virtue all stems from the mind's conceptual discrimination. Hence we know that mind's conceptual discrimination not only obstructs the path, but can also make people mistaken and confused so they do all kinds of things that are no good. Once you have the intent to investigate this path to the end, you must settle your resolve and vow to the end of your days not to retreat or fall back so long as you have not yet reached the great rest, the great surcease, the great liberation. There's not much to the Buddha Dharma, but it's always been hard to find capable people. The concerns of worldly passions are like the links of a chain joining together without a break. Those whose resolve is weak and inferior time and time again become willingly involved with them. Unknowing and unawares, they are dragged along by them. Only if the person truly possesses the faculty of wisdom and willpower will he consent to step back and reflect. <clears throat> it does take willpower. <clears throat> of course, the thing about willpower is the more we deploy it, the more we use it, the stronger it will get. We start off feeble, <clears throat> like a newborn calf, eventually we find more and more 
We can leave these thoughts behind. More and more we're willing. Willpower and willingness both increase. He says, settle your resolve and vow to the end of your days not to retreat or fall back. Another teacher compared it to a, a stream that just keeps flowing, finding a way around obstacles. <clears throat> Maybe a thin stream, may not be a rushing torrent, but if it continues, <clears throat> it will make its way. <clears throat> We're <clears throat> at the end of our time here, and we'll stop now and recite the four vows.